Welcome to Thinking Deeply About Primary Education, the podcast that gives you a peek inside the minds of some truly inspirational teachers. This week, I'm joined by Sarah Farrell, and together we're going to talk about all things primary mathematics. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I am good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. I mean, you name me the only two that ask me how I am. Everybody else just really gets on with it. <laughs> it's very polite. So to kick things off, we always start with our guests in numbers, just to get a feel for who you are and where you're from. So my first question is, years as a teacher? At seven. Although technically I was on maternity leave last year, so I don't know if you count that as a year or not. Oh, that definitely counts. Years as a maths lead? Uh, actually, only since September. So uh, not even a whole year, I'm afraid. First year group taught? Uh, year five. Last year group taught? Also year five. Most important year group? I feel like that's a bit of a trick question because if you didn't have any of the year groups, then the rest of uh, primary education wouldn't make sense. But I think year three is often um, overlooked in terms of the jump from key stage one to key stage two. Um, so could potentially um, be seen as one of the most important year groups. Favourite year group? Uh, either year five or year six. I'd sort of jump between the two. Blog posts at mrsfclassroom.wordpress.com? Uh, 54, amazingly. Nice. That's impressive. Daily maths puzzles? Uh, 157 now. And tweets? I, I couldn't quite believe this when I saw this, but 6,138. I'm not sure what any of them have said, but <laughs> yeah, 6,000. <000. laughs> well, I mean, you're, you're normally tweeting daily maths puzzles and, and, and resources it. for teachers to use as well. You know, you, you say you've only had a year of um, maths leadership experience, but whenever I said to sort of Neil and Shannon things, you know, who will I ask to talk about maths? Because I try and have a maths episode in every um, hmm. season. And then yours was the first name they said. They said they just talked to Sarah. I was like, yeah, oh, that's, that's good. <laughs> and, you know, so you've definitely been sharing lots of positive things and things hmm. that are useful to teachers. So you're a teacher, mathematics subject leader and author of the hashtag Daily Maths Puzzle. Tell us about your journey and how you got here. Well, I actually did a degree in English and education at uh, Canterbury Christchurch and then did my primary PGCE there as well. Um, so nothing maths related at all. Moved to Bristol in 2014 and started working in a year five class. In the PGCE, all my placements were actually in year one, despite the fact that I asked to be in upper key stage two. And I did enjoy working there, but it made me realise that I'm much more a key stage two teacher. And uh, while they were really sweet, it's just it wasn't for me down in year one. I've worked across years five and six over the last few years, so I've taken several classes from year five up to year six, um, which has been really nice because you get that consistency across upper key stage two. And I've led a few different subjects. I've led uh, geography, art and reading for pleasure, and obviously now just taken over maths. When I was on maternity leave last year, I wanted to keep my hand in with um, school related things. So I decided to start doing the daily maths puzzle. I had a subject lead role open up at my school, which I immediately knew I had to apply for. So I went for it and uh, managed to get it, which was Tell me about that year five to six move. Was that planned by the school? So is that something they do all the time? Um, they tend to do quite a lot of having um, the consistency of a year five to year six teacher, just because you do then get that, uh, you can sort of jump straight into year six without having to spend time getting to know the class again. I personally really like doing that. Um, and also means that because you invest quite a lot in year five, you get to sort of see the results in year six as well. And that would be my personal choice of how I would, I would have things of having the same teachers do year five than do year six. If I were in charge of a school. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Whenever whenever some of the Shanghai teachers visited for the, you know, the, the maths hub and um, sort of demonstration lessons, the exchanges, they talked about how they take the kids from first grade or whatever mm. all the way through school. So they move up the whole time. It's, it's, I don't think I'd go for that. <laughs> <laughs> then you go right back down to, you know, year one at the, <laughs> at the end. 
Yeah, no, it, it's, it's definitely interesting. I think that also I, helps if you've got children who maybe struggle with relationships. If you can then develop those relationships across that year, then they have that consistency and they don't then have to rebuild relationships with new people. Yeah, I, I can see a lot of benefits. So you, you're extremely passionate about high quality mathematics education in primary. And, and it might seem like a really obvious question, but why is the highest standard of mathematics provision essential in our phase of education? I think the maths that we introduce um, children to forms the foundation for everything that they go on to learn in maths. So even something as simple as adding one to a number, they need that knowledge for absolutely everything else they come across. And if we provide them with those strong foundations, where they've got the good knowledge of place value, the relationships between numbers and things like times tables and number bonds, then they can start to make those connections between different concepts that, when they're introduced to them across key stage one, key stage two, and then into secondary school. So rather than just having sort of a shallow understanding of different procedures that they don't really understand, they've personally made those connections and sort of drawn on them and then sort of developing that schema of being able to create like a network of everything that they've learned. So rather than just being, oh, this is column subtraction, here are the five steps and how to do that, then they're gathering that for themselves and building that, that map. Nice, I, li I like that analogy. And you're, you're absolutely right. You know, the pupils who really understand primary maths excel mm. at secondary maths, don't they? And those who don't are essentially doing the same content until they're mm. roughly 16 years old. What was it in your professional development that brought you to that realisation? Um, well, I think part of it was quite early on, but working in, um, in the year one classroom that I was in for the, the PGCE, because I, I was fairly confident with, with maths, um, although that developed more sort of when I began working in year five and six but being able to explain something to year one children who are finding something difficult to be able to sort of break it down even further it's I think when you're when you're teaching key stage two you can break a, um, a subject down sort of to make it more and more and more simple but when you're coming down to say adding one to a number it's quite hard to then find more scaffolded steps to explain that and so I think um, sort of having to really think about different ways to explain that same subject and finding different ways to present it to children who really didn't understand it sort of made me realize how how important it is that they do get that and that they can understand that from a different range of sort of representations yeah i i've had that in planning sessions where i'm sitting thinking how can i make this yeah. idea any more straightforward and what you know is there another context i can put it in you know that, um, that makes total sense yeah i can see where you're coming from and yeah and that's probably why we, you know we recommend so much that uh, people spend time teaching in key stage one so they get that that big picture of, mm. of you know how all those pieces connect and that map that the pupils have as well i think as well when um, you see children I've, I've sat across enough children doing arithmetic tests in year five and six to, to see this but when children come across say a column subtraction question and they immediately just go to just subtracting the first numbers that they see um, and you sort of see where their gaps are in their previous understanding they're going oh actually you don't really understand the concept behind this you know the general sort of instruction list of how to do column subtraction you don't really understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. I mean that makes a lot of sense so if, if you had to condense your approach to the teaching of mathematics into a set of guiding principles what would they be? I think first of all definitely making sure that arithmetic knowledge is sound before doing moving on to sort of the traditional sort of like reasoning and I think it's really important that children are introduced to a range of different strategies but they're then allowed to choose the one that they feel the most confident with so I think there's real merit in in introducing children to say addition um, using say number lines and rounding and adjusting but then 
not expecting children to follow one certain method to be able to use a, a range of different methods to find something that they are confident with working in but then to be able to develop them so that they can say check their answer using a different method and not just have you know the one way of doing something so that if they say come to a test or come to a problem and they have completely forgotten how to do for instance column subtraction that they can draw upon those mental ways instead i uh, definitely think that um, regularly revisiting key skills is just absolutely essential and we use math mastery in my school and my absolute favorite part of that is having maths meetings so um, where they have a 15 minute session every day outside of a maths lesson to do those sort of little and often things that they really need to be seeing regularly so like rounding or finding factors of numbers and just sort of like drip feeding in those things that could just be sort of lost and forgotten and you know, I find that 15 minutes really powerful in terms of helping children to remember those different sort of little skills and definitely focusing on things like number fluency such as well, times tables and number ones one thing that I really love doing with all of my classes is um, doing if this is the answer what could the question be so we tend to do one of those a day and it's really interesting seeing say the part of start of year five uh, you might do that and say what if the answer is 15 what could the question be and they start off with things like 10 add 5 and you know 14 add 1 and then as they begin to learn different things so say squared numbers then they start coming up with um say five squared subtract 10 and being able to draw on all of the things that they've learned and become quite creative with maths with that sort of fluency i think chris will definitely be non along whenever you're talking about little and often where does that 15 minutes come in your school day you know think it practically is it addition um, or is it part of the maths lesson? It's it's not in the maths lesson. So for us, it's just before break. And then after break, we have the maths lesson. As in the day is timetable to within an inch of its life. <laughs> yeah, it almost needs to be. I mean, yeah. 15 months years ago, I couldn't fit all the subjects in. And I didn't, you know, there was no expectation that I was teaching to the same standard that, uh, mm. that there is now. You know, certainly there wasn't the, the focus on it. So I can only imagine what timetables are like. And certainly it... it dominates conversations sometimes are they built into maths mastery so there's no additional resourcing or do you guys identify what you want to focus on and then use that time as you see fit maths mastery um come up with a list of things that they suggest covering so they come up with a list of things for each half term um, or each term that they suggest you covering but then um we build in a lot of things from uh, assessments that we do to thinking okay well they've all found this a little bit tricky so we'll just add in one of those questions maybe once a week or twice a week so I always have the very every single day um I just play a six digit number we read the number we um do say ten hundred a thousand more or less and we round it to say a hundred thousand so that we're constantly getting that place value because okay always banging on about place value but uh for because it's so important for being able to say add and subtract numbers and just to understand what numbers actually are and um, having that time to do that every day is really useful and even then for the less confident mathematicians that I've got they then begin to see that because they're hearing it every day it begins to sort of drip feed in and um, even if they're not putting their hands up to join in they're becoming more confident with it and then yeah, I had a few successes with children who have found maths really difficult so then because they're hearing that every day they've sort of started to to join in um, with those bits and, and have a go at them, even if they're not confident. In, at the end of season three, Berkeley Everett talked about something similar to, you know, where you're talking about um, being able to choose from a range of different strategies and things. And he talked about how he would sort of guide so that all the different ideas were listened to and things. Is your approach where you teach and then provide them with the option, you know, reminders, you know, you could choose this. Is that across the whole school or is that something that you do 
and you want to bring across the whole school as subject lead? Something so we've we've just brought in to my school uh, something called Arithmetic Mondays, where on a Monday we're um, we're teaching a specific mental or or written calculation strategy. So, for instance, rounding and adjusting, or um, uh, partitioning and adding, partitioning and subtracting. So, in that um, that time every week, we're introducing the, the children to a new skill. Always a um, with the four operations, but um, those different mental and written ones, and then giving them an opportunity to do calculations there so we're trying to get them more confident with those different um skills so then when it comes to say a word problem lesson we then encourage them to be using whichever strategy they're most confident with that is something that we're hoping to then develop more this year of saying it actually doesn't always need to be written and sort of encouraging a bit more of the mental strategies as well nice it's, it's my favorite bit of mathematics possibly and during lockdown you know the april lockdown the first one i got to do it with my oldest and mm. yeah, I just had so much fun looking at the different ways we can think about number, you know, because it does it, you know, and people will have heard me bang on before, but it negates the need to move on to the formal algorithm, you know, in key stage one. For us, it's built into our curriculum sequence. When I'm talking to people, I will point them towards, I think it's, a, it's an old um, national strategies book called Teaching Children to Calculate Mentally. Mm. Where, did, where did you get your your key learning points from you know those mental methods are, are they built into maths mastery or is it something you've designed yourself um they are with the um I, I did start to um to do them myself then i realized that math master actually had a document to, that already did it so i i stopped trying to reinvent the wheel but no they had a document that covered all of the, the different strategies for each year group so we're using those at the moment nice that's that's perfect because yeah I, I love whenever you're in the middle of something and you realize it already exists you know yes i can put that to one side <laughs> it depends how far you've got through the project <laughs> very true <laughs> so in your opinion what's the single most important aspect of mathematics education i'd say times tables i've shared before um a poster uh, about sort of where times tables are used in the curriculum and it's really surprising when you look at them how many concepts rely so strongly on a good understanding of multiplication and division facts so um everything from ratio fractions obviously things like long multiplication if those children have a really fluent understanding then they're so much more likely to be able to see the different connections so if you've got children who are really confident with their times tables and they see a, a fraction like nine twelfths, they can immediately see ah oh, well i can see what the um the common factors are there and can simplify them much more easily so i'd say if, <laughs> that's that's always what I, i'm always banging on about in, in class going if you know your times tables i promise you everything we're going to cover is going to be so much easier and when it comes to things like uh calculating say area if they've got a question that's 400 multiplied by 30 if they know that number fact so four times three then immediately they can use that to help them i think that's where a lot of children fall down in that if they don't know those they have to really work to try to do them we well, might see them trying to do say a long multiplication question for that you think oh that's just you're not going to end up getting the right answer by doing that <laughs> too many zeros involved for that to, yes. to go right just every the time. Sea of zeros you think that's not going to be right <laughs> Yeah, and it's like those connections you're talking about, seeing the connection between multiplication and area, you mm. know, and, and light bulbs start going off and things, the world makes a whole lot more sense. What's your approach as a school to helping your pupils learn their times tables? Um, we use uh, times table rock stars, um, which um, is really good for just for getting that fluency up and for, um, obviously, because it's games that they enjoy, they are much more likely to 
actually playing them and to, um, and to tackle them. We had a few things that we were doing before uh, lockdown, so we haven't really started doing again um, yet, but where we've had time to table certificates and aiming to get them for sort of bronze, silver and gold for learning the multiplication and division facts. And I'm in the, in the moment sort of trying to think of a way to redo that without it being um, having to go and see a teacher to be tested. So trying to think of a, a way to sort of reduce the load of doing that, but still getting that working towards a times table. We do also have a, um, we've mapped out the times tables and number bonds for key stage one across the year for all year groups. So every term, um, each class is focusing on a um, times table. So this term we're focusing on our 12 times tables. And that is part of the expectation for homework is that you are learning your 12 times tables. And then every Monday when they come into school, they have a just a short 10 question quits rather than a test of seeing those times tables and seeing them not just you know one multiplied by 12 is equal to 12 but seeing them for instance with the missing box or with the answer box at the beginning so they're getting used to seeing those different representations and then hopefully by the end of the term being really confident with their 12 times tables so we can move on to our next one yeah i think that moving towards a systematic approach like that is really sensible we, we mapped ours out by the week you know i think we've got 37 unique tables facts that we want our pupils to know and if if you were to commit one to memory every week from the start of year three. I think by week eight of year four, you'd be done. You know, oh, wow. <laughs> we yet to see what if that's actually possible. But um, yeah, I think outlining what you want to be learned and when makes a whole lot of sense. Whereas I think definitely when I started teaching, I was just sort of hoping that they'd, they learned them enough. You know, the practice we were doing was sufficient, you know, but it probably wasn't at the time. Thinking about your principles, what might they look like in a school that was doing a particularly good job of teaching mathematics you know so you've got the sound arithmetic you know the focus on those methods and then that that fluency what what, what might that look like in practice in a school that was doing a good job of that well personally i think having a weekly arithmetic lesson um is really powerful especially for when you're coming on to um say you're learning about say shape or data and statistics still being able to focus one lesson a week on those strategies means that they're never being overlooked and you're always getting that input on them so i think definitely having a weekly arithmetic um lesson i would say if there is time in a timetable having some form of a um of a maths meeting is incredibly useful i mean i a few years ago started doing a spag meeting in a spare, a spare 15 minutes I had, which I found them really useful for sort of going into writing lessons and sort of a similar way of um, sort of spag and arithmetic being the, the building blocks of writing and of, say, reasoning. I definitely think a focus on correct vocabulary. So, so often I've seen teachers say uh, using the word sum for like a multiplication question and just being really clear that actually sum means addition and making sure that you're using that correct vocabulary. And then giving children a chance to articulate their learning using that vocabulary, using sentence stems to explain how they've calculated their answers, again, in a way that shows that depth of understanding rather than just a procedural knowledge. So being able to explain how they know using that concept rather than just, well, you know, talking through a, a method and happening to happen to get it right. So and so those arithmetic lessons. Are they, so is, does your week look like one arithmetic lesson, four on the main theme that you're you're following? So you've always yeah, got so, that? Yeah, so I have an arithmetic lesson, which um, we'll have a little time on, on the times tables. We'll teach a specific strategy, so say rounding and adjusting. We'll have a spotlight on different question styles. So for instance, having the answer box at the start. And then, and we've only just introduced this bit 
last Wednesday, doing a quarter of the arithmetic test that I made for year four, five and six. So just nine questions a week and then going through those and really and really digging into which strategies they've used for those questions. So say if it's a question where you're adding 10, going actually you don't need to write out a column addition question here, you can just add on 10 mentally. So a chance to explore those different strategies. And then across the rest of the week, we then have our four lessons on whether it's shape or um, ratio, whatever happens to be, but always that arithmetic lesson specifically focusing on the strategies, especially because they they build in so much into the rest of the of the curriculum. And it means that we can have, say, if you're coming up to a, a unit on converting metric units, then that Monday lesson could be spent doing, actually, we're just going to look at multiplying and dividing by 10, 100, 1,000. So then we know you're, co you're confident with this, or we know the children who aren't confident with this. And then you can use that to support throughout the rest of the week so that they've got that calculation knowledge and then they're applying it to that concept. And are they the kind of conversations you're having with your teachers? Or are the teachers having between each other during their planning sessions, that kind of thing? Um, yeah, we're still quite early on in, in, in we've only introduced the arithmetic sessions from September and so we're still sort of early on in, in using those. But uh, already with um, its teachers thinking about which ones they particularly want to focus on and using the Math Mastery document to find which of those objectives would be the most useful to cover. A lot of just using professional judgment to think actually what do we really need to work on what's going to be the most useful for this upcoming unit. Nice. No, that makes a lot of sense. And it seems like you've really thought it through in, in terms of how you get how to support your pupils in making, you know, really meaningful connections between the mathematics they, they learn about and that they need to, to practice. Do you think there are any pitfalls that those schools who struggle to provide a decent standard of maths education fall into, you know, that those listening should aim to avoid? Probably the biggest um, mistake I've seen in, in maths is this is the old um, differentiation conversation, but of uh, differentiating by giving, say, bigger numbers rather than differentiating by scaffolding. So I think uh, there's a, a lot of, oh, are these children, oh, then again, it goes into the sort of the, the glass ceiling of actually you're capping certain children off at certain, certain abilities and going, okay, well, you can add four-digit numbers, so you're going to add six-digit numbers, even if that's not part of the year group objectives. And I mean, my school is in a really fortunate position that we actually have iPads for every child. And I've been exploring so far this year how to use scaffolding using the iPads to make sure that children have got access to what they need to help them in that specific objective. But that, say, in their books, it, it might look like they've all been doing exactly the same thing, but that they can explain what they've used to help them get there. So whether they've used a multiplication grid or they've used a, a place value chart, being able to explain to someone that they know where to get the support from. Then also, uh, again, using the iPads and trying to reduce the huge amount of printing, because I am guilty for printing far too much. I've been experimenting with having a three page uh, document for each lesson and having sort of like the middle one of going, well, here's a list of questions. If you're confident, then have a go with these questions. And on the um, sort of the first sheet, having uh, actually, if you're confident, then here's something that's going to challenge you a bit more. So say when we were doing um, column addition, that more challenging sheet might have had the words, uh, the, the questions written out in words rather than in numbers. So that if children were really confident with addition, then they're challenging themselves a bit more to apply that place value knowledge. And that then the sort of final sheet would be actually, if you're really struggling with this, then here are some different prompts that you can use to help you. So that 
and it's and they always use the same questions throughout so they're not getting different sets of questions so that if they're starting off they're thinking actually i'm really really struggling with this they can use that third page and then as they're getting more confident they actually i'm going to try doing it on the second one without the prompts or actually even maybe going to the first page and thinking actually i can do this i really want to challenge myself without you having to print out hundreds of pieces of paper to in order to support that and will the teacher guide the pupils towards the sort of the ballpark they want them to start operating in or is it totally self-selecting by the pupils? Um, I think there's a lot of, um, I think to begin with, it's some prompting and then um, moving on to self-selection. I think there's always going to be those children who are either really overconfident when really they need to um, to rein it in a little bit, or those children who who sort of choose something that's a bit too easy for them. I always tend to say to mine, um, if, you, if you aren't confident, then by all means start with the sort of the, the more scaffolded option and then saying if you're getting that one right maybe for the next one just try that with without the scaffolding to see if um, if you can do it I think there's definitely a lot of sort of training to go on there with children going actually and, and I think a lot of it is a saying if you get it wrong it's really not a problem that that's part of learning if you go for that middle one and actually you make a mistake and it goes wrong we can work through it together maybe you'll try again in a few questions to to do it again without that scaffolding yeah, and like you said, if the mathematics in all three pages is the same, you know, really, then they can skip between them. It's just the point of entry that they're they're getting to choose, and um, mm. which sort of you know, which avoids the situation you were describing, you know, the pitfall, you know, when the first group have numbers mm. to twenty, the next group have numbers to a hundred, and then the next group have numbers to a thousand. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> so, you know, I was actually exploring the Maya number system or the Maya number system. And I think getting pupils, if, if they're really good at place value and if they're really good at calculating, they should look at, they should explore that number system because it couldn't be more different from ours. You know, like it's, it's got a vertical organization system. It's in base 20, you know, mm. so you're getting quite large numbers and it's got a combination of dots, dashes and images, you know, glyphs, I think it's the proper term, you know, so if, you, if, if in doubt, you know, look at the Maya, look at the, the Romans and, and go that direction instead. So you've, you've talked about Maths Mastery a bit, um, which is a high quality textbook program. Uh, all digital resources. All digital, but a lot. someone's mapped out the, yeah. the curriculum and it's got that journey from year one to year six. Yeah. What, in your opinion, what are the features of a high quality mathematics curriculum? I think definitely well-sequenced objectives so that build across the year, but also build across through the year groups, but with opportunities to revisit. So uh, making sure that children are confident with that same objective from the year before, before moving on to in that current year group. So you say, for instance, before you move on to adding six digit numbers together, making sure that they can add four digit numbers together from the previous year group. Definitely that focus on language, making sure that they are being exposed to that language and they're using that language and they understand what that language means. Again, as I mentioned, the scaffolding and not differentiating. And I think having a lot of opportunities to talk. So whether that's having, say, just speaking using the sentence stems or having a problem that you're working together on the board, but having that opportunity to articulate their thinking and to discuss different ways that they've solved a problem and that that's and sort of jumping back to the mental strategies we mentioned earlier being able to discuss which one's the most efficient and why and i think building in chances for reasoning so through having say proving answers or looking for different way a different um 
like say finding the odd one out with calculations or finding all the possibilities having those different opportunities to do that no matter what the ability of the child because again i think a lot of the time challenges can be seen as just being for the children who are achieving the highest in the class but having those challenges so that even a child who has gone through column subtraction for instance and found it a bit tricky but has got there in the end that they've got a challenge that they can that's, that's challenging for them uh, and that they can they can access so they're still seeing for instance can you find a mistake in this column subtraction can you prove this statement rather than them just working on the fluency you know reasoning for everybody what's, what's the john mason quote you know if you're not doing reasoning it's not mathematics you're teaching <laughs> something along those lines some really interesting ideas there the the ones that jump out at me are, are language scaffold and talk and i reckon it'd be really interesting to take them one at a time where do your teachers draw the accurate language from is that something that your curriculum provides for you or is that something that you as subject leader have the responsibility for disseminating so we are in the fortunate position that Maths Mastery do provide us with a sort of vocabulary list. I have also made a vocabulary list, which um, I did before we became a Maths Mastery school. So again, that sort of starting project, then it being done for you. But we do have that list of, of vocabulary because obviously there's so much vocabulary that's used in, um, in maths. It's choosing the specific pieces that you want to teach and to use rather than just having oh well, here's the 20 words that we need to learn this lesson is thinking well actually I want to make sure that you, you understand product and we're going to just make sure that um, today we use product we use digits and we use um, some for instance if we're looking at a uh, long multiplication and making sure that uh, children can use those words in context and that we avoid having say going three times two using the correct vocabulary for that. I, I did a lot of talk with our teachers about vocabulary when I first started my current role. And now things like quotient, dividend, mm. minuend, they're just part of the, the local lexicon. You know, the teachers certainly and the, lots of the pupils will talk about it and they'll be able to identify. And I think it makes a big difference to mm. how the pupils can articulate what it is they've understood. And so that makes a lot of sense. And, and I like that you're almost drip feeding pieces. You know, you're not gonna give them here, here's the whole vocabulary list. And we, we've got something similar. And the more a teacher will teach in a year group, the more they'll know to feed certain words in in September for the payoff that it brings in in March kind of thing. It makes it makes a lot of sense, you know. And then if you're say if, if you've done um, products, for instance, when you've been doing uh, long multiplication, then when you come through to say doing area and if you just display the word product and see if children can then build that. The, the knowledge of going oh yes I remember doing that from when we've covered these different objectives we must be using that in this lesson and be able to explain what it then means and it's again all about building those connections between the different areas of maths. The scaffolds along the same lines I assume they've been mapped out you know the models images representations how much of the decision making process comes down to you and your teachers? So, so say with, with Maths Mastery we find that you're given a lot of different models and what we're working on this year is making sure that um, teachers can use those different models, but choosing the, the ones that are most useful for them. So rather than saying, OK, well, we've got to you, we've got to teach them to do this, this, this and this. Going, actually, I want to really focus just on these two to begin with. So uh, having the sort of the opportunity for all of them, but then just choosing those those specific through a few. Nice. Yeah, I think most schools will probably find themselves in a position where they've got the, the entirety of the models, images that are possible. And yeah, having to make decisions about which ones are most 
pertinent for their pupils and then sequencing them you know across the across the year groups mm. and then we discussed talk on the on the podcast a while ago how do you guys facilitate that talk in your maths lessons so we have talk tasks so um which is again a feature of, of maths mastery lessons um where there'll be say you've introduced a, a concept there'll be a chance to to tackle that as, as a parent it's a scaffolded talk in that you provide the sentence stems and so you model that with a child or with another adult in the room and then children use that to use that language using the context uh, in a way that they've heard modeled and then be able to uh, to apply that to the questions that they can then see i think definitely having the sentence stems there is really powerful to say rather than going okay solve this problem you're thinking okay we'll solve this problem and this will help you to um, sort of guide you to do so you know all, all makes total sense and i think um having that organized approach to those key markers makes it makes a big difference in terms of teaching and learning and ultimately what the pupils remember in mathematics and understand so how do you guys approach planning you know over the long and the short term so we have uh, the long-term outline that comes from uh, Math Mastery and we adapt as need be for our class. So personally, I like to map out each half term in terms of the lessons that I'll cover. So basically just because I like being really organised, but then with the knowledge that it will need to be adapted and you might need to spend longer on certain objectives. So I'll tend to have like that whole termly plan um, of going, this is what ideally I'd like to cover, but I know I might need to shift it around. Then when it comes to each week, map out the objectives to cover in each lesson and choose warm up or starter activities that help to build towards those skills. So a bit like mentioning earlier with coming up to um, metric units, probably in that week, all of my warm ups and starters would be multiplying, dividing by 10, hundred and a thousand just to really get that in there. Um, sort of the short term planning is something that I want to really look at this year in terms of maths lead and making sure that those different features are coming through in every single lesson and that you've got the specific vocabulary that you want to be taught and the making sure that that talk is scaffolded and is is a part of every lesson so then do you guys have a template that you record your planning on or is it up to the teacher how they approach it you know so you've got the big picture perhaps a medium-ish picture as well and then from there you'll decide what's right for you yeah so um as part of the planning process, it's that we've got the videos available on Math Mastery, so we use, we use those. Um, personally, my, my planning is just by creating a PowerPoint. We're a two-form entry school, so I create that to help um, for both me and my partner teacher to have uh, those to hand. I, I'm not a big fan of sort of, sort of teaching like to, to a PowerPoint, if you like, but it is handy then having just those words visible and having, say, some discussion tasks up there. Uh, but when it comes to like just doing a calculation, I'm always much more, here's a whiteboard and pen or a sort of visualiser and do it in um, in books. Again, to hopefully get, get children to know you need to write each digit in each square, you need to use a ruler and help model those expectations. Yeah, I'm with you on that because if I ever have to write a word problem out, I'd much rather have it pre-prepared on a PowerPoint slide than have to sit and write it out, you know, because you lose a bit of the back and forth if you're constantly writing these new problems out whereas if i have a my turn your turn you know example problem pair it's much easier you know so i i completely understand what you mean about lots of our teachers you know certainly in those schools that don't use a textbook exclusively will use powerpoint as their vehicle because yeah. they can add notes to it you know it, it becomes like a living document that people have conversations then equally whenever i'm planning with them we can all have it open at the same time and sit yes. and you know play with the things you know so 
Yeah, I, I totally get that. You know, I think anything that helps your teachers sort of save time and focus their attention on what's important. Is there. A similar sort of um, tactic, if you like, with uh, planning uh, our maths meetings. So I will tend to do those all one term in advance. And I think once you've sort of done the first week, it's a case of, you know, changing the numbers. So it's not too time consuming to do. But I always have that on, on uh, PowerPoint so that you've then got what you're going to go through, you've got those questions ready. And so one of the things that we're focusing on this uh, term is having word problems with the numbers um, hidden, displaying the word problem, having the, uh, the numbers hidden and saying, okay, before I show you the numbers, don't just add them together randomly. How are we going to approach this? So looking at what the wording is, discussing together what the approach will be, and they're going, okay, when I show you these numbers, then we're agreed. The first step will be you convert the litres to millilitres. The second step is you're going to add those together and say so that then, you've discussed that they've all got a strategy and they can all just go for it and again if you didn't have that pre-planned then that will become a lot harder to harder to do nice that's gold yeah thinking about the structure before you think about the numbers because the numbers can distract them can't they mm. and they do just add them or multiply them or subtract them as, as they see fit without thinking oh well, that one of those is in liters one of those is in milliliters i need to change those before i do anything with them yeah, I'm going to steal that title, or certainly borrow it. Because <laughs> um, I, I often, yeah, I, I quite like looking at um, the connection between problem structures and bar models and, and can pupils, you know, write problems that match the bar I've drawn on the board, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Uh, but but they, yeah, and I've, I've, I've seen Gareth Metcalf do stuff where like, it's completely numberless, you know, maybe numberless graphs, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Bar models another uh, thing that I've been um, doing because I noticed that quite a few of our children I think part of it was coming back from lockdown but they were struggling with the language and with the uh, with representation so they, they sort of just lost that a little bit and so if I was saying uh, how many are there all together and they would go um, I think you subtract and so looking at that language and so I made a resource which um, had four possible answers written in the corners it was say 12 add 4 is 16 12 subtract 4 12 multiply by 4 12 divided by 4 and then having a, a question or a representation in the middle and then knowing uh, showing them uh, that slide and saying okay the answer is going to be one of those four possibilities you don't need to, to, try, to try to calculate it. it will be one of those four but which one will it be so thinking are you seeing four lots of 12? Are you seeing 12 divided into four sections? And so again, it was taking off that pressure of having to come up with the answer and just thinking, okay, what am I looking at here? Uh, which has then really helped in terms of that language coming back and the, the getting more used to seeing those different representations. You know, particularly when pupils struggle to focus their attention because there's so much going on, you know, maybe they get limited work and memory capacity, whatever. And, um, you know, I think that can be really, really useful. So tell me about your approach to writing the daily maths puzzle. What, what's the process like? Well, I always start off by uh, deciding what I want the focus to be. So say, for instance, finding the area. Then I always add in at least two steps that need to be done before the area can be calculated. So it might be having to find the length of one side first, or it might be um, having to use, if, for instance, I put then a circle in there as well, having to use the knowledge of um, the diameter and radius of a circle before they can calculate um, the area of a shape. And so they're designed to draw upon the knowledge gained across Key Stage 2. So with most of them, um, they can definitely be done by the end of Year 6, but then with things like, say, the um, radius and diameter of circles, they will need to have had that knowledge first. Uh, but they're designed to encourage children to think about what information they already know and use that to then work out the remaining information. So 
yeah, it's always sort of those those two steps that need to be done um, beforehand. And the, those are the kind of things that I, because I've got a um, one-year-old, so I tend to be up in the night quite a lot. That's what I do to keep sane when I'm, when I'm up with him, is just to think about a math problem and then write it down when I wake up in the morning as a yeah, way to keep, to keep awake and, uh, and keep busy. It's a really productive use of time. And it sounds like you're inspired by what you're covering in class as well because a few times you sort of said oh i made a resource for this because i was i needed to address this issue will you be thinking about your your own class and the classes in your school when you while you're writing those problems most of the time it's thinking about those skills that again from having sat across enough children taking sats tests of knowing that actually whenever they see circles they forget what they're looking at they, they struggle to remember and um, those different facts so all of the ones that i've made or most of the ones i've made are based on shape and uh, fractions decimals and percentages and just getting a chance to sort of explore those different things and draw upon knowledge that's gained elsewhere so i know for instance that there's the objective in year six to find the area of parallelograms and obviously they then learn how to find the area of parallelograms there's a chance to then apply that knowledge in a different context in a time that's not related to um, to the current learning, but that'll come up at some other point during the year. And yes, yeah, so those sort of um, of things that they learn the procedure of how to do, but then don't necessarily get that practice with. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen in, in that's papers where they'll have a, like a um, several different squares and rectangles all put together and have one side where they've given you a, a measurement and then children just sort of multiply it by four or just add together the first numbers they see because they're not sure how to approach those questions whereas if they are using say the math puzzles then they'll hopefully get a chance of going okay slow down before you do anything mathematical look at it what do you already know what do we need to know before we can calculate that nice you can see subtle little hints at your at your thought process coming through in your response there and in in thinking deeper about mathematics there's a there's a bit in possibly the reason chapter where it says think like an exam writer and mm. if, there, if there's ever a second edition it's going to be think like Sarah you know because <laughs> I'm going to go back and I'm going to show this just like I would with Garth's task why has Garth made the decision he's made I'm going to look at your problems and, and then listen to this bit and then say okay how can we replicate this because I, I'm fascinated by the way people write problems because mm. you know I think that there are a finite number of problem structures and that every problem is just a combination of or one of those and to see how people approach making things that appear novel and the expectations of pupils you know i, I think is is brilliant so i'm definitely going to be listening back to that that response with them with lots of my teachers going forward a rambly rambly response <laughs> no not at all but the thing is you, you're you're thinking on this level this is something that you is just part of what you do now isn't it but you're you definitely were sort of revealing sort of parts of your process as as you responded and then yeah it was, it was really clear how you were how many levels you were thinking about that problem writing process you know and you know i can't believe you're doing it with the one-year-old you know because i remember when, when the boys were one and you know <laughs> it's, a, it's definitely the the toughest part i think <laughs> well, i'm very lucky my uh, my husband um, stays at home with um full-time so I'm, I'm back at work full-time and he's at home with him full-time so i'm very lucky in that um that regard i can focus on work excellent and then obviously get to spend sort of evenings and weekends with him so what would you recommend anyone wishing to develop their mathematics prowess you know in terms of teaching should read you know like books papers blogs podcasts 
Um, I think definitely um, uh, 100 Ideas for Primary Teachers uh, by Shannon Doherty. It feels I would recommend a bit to, to you, but your book um, is really useful. I've actually got it over here next to me. Maths Mastery Reasoning by John B as well. So I've got the Key Stage 2 book um, from him, and I'd like to get the Key Stage 1 book as well, but with the sort of different representations of questions is really useful. I think there are so many different good um, resources. I mean, Twitter is an amazing place for seeing different recommendations. Uh, I, I really need to be more organised with how I sort of save things because I keep emailing myself links and then I never look at them again and then I'm trying to find something in there somewhere. Um, but there are so many uh, amazing people to follow and, uh, and different things that crop up but I, I would recommend uh, Twitter to everyone who's who's looking for different resources. It's always, oh have you, have you gone on Twitter? Have you found, followed these six to eight people my bookmarks on twitter are a mess you know I, I bookmark lots of stuff oh definitely go back and read that and then it's just this massive list of things that i've forgotten why i was interested in them <laughs> i did see someone suggested making a padlet for, for yourself of different resources so i might have to force myself to be organized and do that just to have a, a visual that these are these useful resources for different things i was using padlet with my teachers during our staff meeting last week i might go and repurpose that uh that set of padlets for my <laughs> for my bookmarks because you know something needs to happen. I don't know. I'm sure there's there, there must be an app for it somewhere. Um, it must be. <laughs> so your work has inspired many and will continue to do so for a long time. Where do you draw your inspiration from? Uh, well, I think firstly, I've really struggled with maths um, in primary school and in, in secondary school. Um, it didn't help that my, my brother is a, an amazing mathematician. So he he could do sort of like year nine SATS papers when he was in year six and he's on a physics degree. So immediately, you know, I was very much, I'm not as good as him. And so I think from having then struggled with that and having uh, did someone tutor me in maths when I was in primary school and, find, and knowing that I found it difficult. When I then went into teaching, I found that actually that was really useful because I knew where children were going to come unstuck and so you could sort of think about that in advance and where my brother would be a terrible primary maths teacher because he would just be like well why don't you know that um so I think having that sort of knowledge of going well I found this difficult I'm guessing that's where they're going to find it difficult as well and seeing where those common mistakes will happen to be able to sort of uh, head them off at the pass that's where I was, say I came across um or I came up with doing the arithmetic tests think okay uh if if i'd had that when i was in um in primary school and i'd had one of those a week and then i'd been able to target that specific skill then i would have found that really useful so i'm sort of thinking back to to myself what i would have found useful in primary school also i i'm one of those people who really like, i hope it's not make me sound terrible but I, I always find the sort of mistakes and things or the, the the gaps in things and i love then sort of seeing something and thinking okay i'm gonna make something that fills that gap and that doesn't that does what isn't currently being done um i'm also quite perfectionist with with resources so if i find something i'm like yeah i think i could probably improve that so i always like to have something that i'm working on to <laughs> um that hopefully other people will then find useful that empathy comes across when i talk to you know we, i think we have quite a few maths leads maybe not talking about um mathematics specifically on the podcast but definitely i remember andy talking about how he, he wasn't a fan of maths when he was at school, so he wanted to be the best maths teacher he could be and the best maths lead he could be. You know, I think um, Lisa as well. You know, it, it definitely comes up a lot in, in, in the real world too. You know, I think you can't underestimate understanding how the, how the pupils who are struggling feel because that I think that's when you're best placed to support them and 
overcoming the barriers that you know we may have struggled over ourselves when we were younger and and thinking back so when we said about breaking things down that you know and then um, if you've got a child in year five who's struggling to do something thinking okay well i can break it down to sort of um like year three level year two level year one level until you get to the level where they think oh yes now i can see the connections there i think if you were a natural mathematician and although obviously that'd be amazing if you were into you it'd be very useful that you might then struggle to break it down and think oh they should know that so why don't they know that and uh, um get frustrated i suppose probably a very different tolerance threshold before you get frustrated i know certainly in things that i find easy and i'm trying to teach my children i'll get quite frustrated quite quickly you know, why, why can't you just play mario the way i want you to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, jump on the jump on the brick jump on the brick. <laughs> um you know maybe not the most practical example but uh you know whereas with mathematics and things i i can i can i'm definitely not more patient <laughs> and do you have any final advice for teachers who feel energized and ready to up their mathematics game knowing that i think maths can be seen quite often as being uh quite a dry subject and quite sort of um formulaic and and it's often the subject that I think people are going oh you know I was rubbish at maths when I was at school so I think introducing children to the fact that you can be quite quite creative with maths so as I mentioned earlier one of my favorite things to do with children is the if this is the answer what could the question be and I've got some examples up on um on my blog of some responses that I had from year six before with that, where they would come up with, say, fractions and use fractions and bob mass together and be able to really play with number and to, to be able to explore it. And I think being able to have that opportunity to or give children the opportunity to play with number, to explore it, to look at different representations and to sort of have that chance to do it in their own way is really powerful in that it, it stops it from being this is the correct answer this is a wrong answer but to have more sort of the different gradients of going okay, well you can challenge yourself a little bit by having say that you know 10 add 5 or you can go okay well you're going to have multiplying fractions and then adding in a cube number as well and having that sort of that chance to to do it at a level that they're comfortable at um to help sort of to change those perceptions of maths and to, uh, to help hopefully stop children from going oh well, i just can't do maths yeah because that, that, that's the biggest challenge isn't it you know those dispositions because if they're not in place you know, then it's an uphill struggle, isn't it? What would success as maths lead look like for you? You know, what, what, what's your long-term picture for your math subject leadership? You know, you've just come in, this is year one. Mm. What, how do you see your math subject leadership going? What, what are your plans? Um, well, I'd like to look at um, developing um, maths mastery so that, because I think the problem with when you have a scheme is it can be that you rely on it a bit too much. But having a look at, I, I, I love with Mass Mastery, for instance, the maths meetings, and I really like the six part lesson structure, but then helping staff to then be confident to use that structure, but to use it in their own way. I would definitely like to do some work on some of the things that, that we've been speaking about, about the language, about different representations and making sure that all teachers are confident with that and that they can suggest different ways of going across questions. One thing I've been looking at um, doing is trying to uh, find or look at uh, books and how they link to the maths curriculum so to try to introduce reading across the curriculum in that way i've got lots of other sort of like half-baked ideas that i haven't quite solidified yet um i think a lot of this year is going into other classes because i think the, the real problem with uh, with teaching is that you don't get that chance to go and see other people teaching and so once you sort of finish your nqt year that's it you just see 
you're just in your own classroom and so I want to use this here to see other people teaching go into the lessons and find out sort of where the amazing nuggets of things that are happening across the school are and then how to um say well actually that's really great we should all be doing that and yeah hopefully hopefully start to change again some of the perceptions I think with with parents that could always be a thing like oh I find I found maths really hard when I was at school math is hard some people just can't do maths and going well actually no you might find it difficult but it's it's not a you can't do maths um so I've started doing a maths newsletter for parents as well with uh, sort of some tactics uh for helping their children and including some examples of say like this is what a bar model is this is how we use it in lessons so that they then know if their children are sent home with a bar model for homework they know what it is they know how to use it nice i think you're hitting all the key markers that um that most subject leaders will be thinking about you know they'll be thinking about language they'll be thinking about pet things of pedagogy and parents you know in every context brings its own sort of challenges and rewards so i think you know i know that was a bit of a curveball at the end i reckon it'd be really interesting to see where you are a couple of months couple of years down the line you know, maybe come back mm-hmm. you and shannon can talk about math subject leadership and you know we get this picture of how how your sort of your story has developed you know that could be that'd be really interesting if that sounds like something you'd be interested in I think it would be really interesting to um, to connect with other math subject leads as well, sort of share those ideas, because I mean, from I've learned say geography, but that's very different to leading a core subject and uh, making sure that I'm a, not just massively missing something, um, but to sort of share those ideas and say, oh, this worked really well in my setting, it might work well in yours. So I don't know if there is that like a, a group of math subject leads, but that would be, I'd find that really useful if, uh, if there was. Yeah. I don't know if you if you used Discord before, but there's a math section on our Discord for the, for thinking about primary education. But basically, that's what we do. We talk about edu- there's there's one for education, there's one for like books for reading, there's one for mathematics. You know, not everybody talks, but everybody's sort of there asking questions and things. And so, like, I was that I was asking, perfect. yeah, it, it sounds like you're describing, like Sam. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll the links on all the episodes. Well, I'll, I'll send it across on Twitter. I was looking for information on assessment in the foundation subjects mm. and then Amy Bills came out and said here well this is what we do and then I think Neil might have said what he did and and from there my school has developed and I sort of said this is what people who know what they're doing think you know try that you know so yeah it definitely works yeah so but yeah, Bernie thank you very much for joining me today well thank you I enjoyed that a lot more than than that wasn't quite as terrifying terrifying as I thought it would be <laughs> <laughs>